Well, hello, Emmanuel Church family. I'm excited to be here. My name's Michael, and I get to come and speak a couple of times a year, and I always look forward to this weekend. I hope you're excited to be here today as well. Whether you're at a site, whether you're live streaming, wherever you are, I'm super excited that you're here. Are you guys ready for what God has to teach us today? Yeah! That's what I like to hear. Now, when I was growing up, I, I was pretty good in school. And when I got to middle school, though, I hit kind of a hiccup. You see, I knew how to speak the English language and I knew how to write the English language, but they started pulling it apart and doing something called diagramming the English language. Like, you speak it, you don't draw it. And I can remember, you know, learning, I said, okay, I got the nouns down. A noun is a person, a place, or a thing. And a verb was an action. Right. That was a test. Okay. I knew it. All right. It was a test. But then they started having all these other pieces of the, of the language. And it was really hard to understand what it is until I discovered a piece of literature that changed my approach to the language ever. I mean, this is a classic. This has been around for over 60 years. This piece of literature has sold 110 million different copies. And I would imagine that almost every single person in this room at one time or another has actually used this piece of literature to help you as you communicate with others. Do you want to know what it is? Yeah, I bet you do. So do I. Oh, actually, I know what it is, okay? I'm going to tell you what it is. It is a classic piece of literature called Mad Libs, okay? How many of you have ever done Mad Libs before? Yeah. You know what it is? It's where you, you, you get two people at least, and you, you ask them for a bunch of different words, and you write it down, and you incorporate it into this story. And I thought, what a better way to start off a sermon than doing a Mad Lib live with all these campuses streaming on live. You guys up for it? All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you for some words, and I want you to scream it out loud, whether you're in the room with me or whether you can just hear your voice, wherever you are. I want to make sure that you do it. But there's two things I want you to, to remember. A, let's be enthusiastic. I want to hear you, okay? And the second thing is, this is church, so use a little bit of discretion, okay? All right, so I knew, guys, I knew where some of your minds were going because that's where I was. Okay, I need a man's name. Phil. All right. I need a woman's name. Stacy. I need a public place or building. What? The bathroom. Okay. Man, the next one, I need a body part. Please refer to rule number two. Okay. Elbow. Thank you. All right. A verb ending in I-N-G. Running. All right. You notice early and loud are the ones I hear, so make sure you're shouting out. A household item. A chainsaw? Who said chainsaw? Yeah, I have that in my house. All right. Something that you would scream as an exclamation. Wow. Another body part. Arm. Thank you. Uh, a profession or a job. Teacher. A verb? Loving. Loving. A favorite food? Macaroni and cheese. cheese. Speaking my love language right there. A number? Two. Two. Another number? One. Okay. An emotion? Sadness. Okay. It's 
that's what I heard. Okay, you guys ready for it? This is called the Gossip Girls, okay? So you ready for this, everybody? Let's listen up. Here we go. It says, have you heard about Phil? His wife, Stacy, had to take him to the bathroom because he hurt his elbow while he was running the chainsaw, okay? <laughs> it's funny for you, not so much for Phil. She said he screamed, wow, when he got a shot in the arm to numb the pain. The teacher told him that he won't be able to love macaroni and cheese for two to one weeks. <laughs> they are so sadness about the whole thing. You know, when we play a game like Mad Libs, it's fun when we just throw words out there and we have a good time, isn't it? I mean, I love to laugh. I love to laugh in church. But here's the truth. A lot of times in life, we throw our words out there and they don't cause laughter. They cause pain. Or somebody else throws words our way and it hurts our heart. We feel the pain. We remember what people said. We're wrapping up a series called My Big Fat Mouth. And uh, I want to thank Emmanuel Church for you guys for writing a series just for me. And so what I will be sharing over the next few minutes is actually God's lesson for me that you all just kind of get to overhear. And our big idea that we've been going for all three weeks is this, that our words create the quality of our life and the lives of those around us. Our words carry weight. And we've been looking at kind of a, a key verse that we've been focusing in every single week. And it's the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Our words carry weight. Our words carry weight, and they are important. Today we're going to be talking about gossip. Now, I have to be honest with you. When I got the call that they wanted me to come and speak about gossip, my first thought was this. Oh, this is going to be great because I believe there's a lot of people out there that need to hear about gossip. So then, but do you know what happens? I started studying this. God kind of started to gently nudge me. And then he started to kind of really kind of shake me. And then he started to kick me in the rear end, okay? I said, Michael, this message is not for them. It's for you. Because I, I realized that I was either, I don't know how to put it, really good at gossiping or I was really bad at gossiping. Like it was a part of my life to a higher extent than I ever imagined. And I have to be honest with you, I, I, I didn't like that. So let's take a look at what is gossip, why we gossip, and how we can stop gossiping. So the first thing is, is what is gossip? Well, I went to dictionary.com and I got the, the definition that gossip is unproductive talk about the personal or private affairs of others. It's, it's the unproductive talk. It's not saying something like, hey, today is Cody's birthday, which it is, okay? That's just information, okay? It's more like, did you like that? Okay. It, it's more about unproductive talk where we're talking about people in ways that really doesn't, that really tears them down. In fact, in the New Testament, one of the words the Bible uses for gossip is a word that translates in our language as whisperer. Do you get the picture that God's drawing there? Standing out here in, in the lobby or somewhere and somebody goes, hey, did you hear about? And everybody kind of draws together and you're like, you start to whisper. And you start to share about some tragedy or misfortune or some mistake that they have made. And everybody kind of leans in as they whisper. 
And that's the unproductive talk of gossip that goes around. And, and the Bible has a lot to say about our words. But if you do a search in your Bible app about the word gossip, you'll see that God also has a whole lot to say about gossip. In fact, there are three different kinds of gossip that the Bible talks about. The first one is just very simple. It's just unproductive talk. It's just where you're talking about somebody. You're just kind of running them down. It's what I would call idle talk, okay? And it's kind of where you're not being really bad, but you're just kind of talking about them. You might be a person who has idle talk if you use some words like this. You're talking about somebody and you say, well, he always responds that way. Or she never is going to be able to overcome that. If you're using words like that, it's probably idle talk. The second level where we up the ante a little bit is what's called malicious talk. And that's where you want to embarrass someone, okay? And that's where you want to just really uh, make fun of someone. Where, where you say, hey, did you hear about something? Yeah, he did it again. Oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe it. You know, and, and it's where you're really running down. The third level that the Bible gives us is something called slander. And this is where you are so hurt or you are so angry at someone that you want to lash out at them. You want to destroy their reputation. You just want to eviscerate their character. You want to do everything you can do just to chop their knees out from underneath you. And and that's the third level. And I think probably as I've been walking through these, a lot of us in this room, myself included, we've put ourselves probably in each one of those situations. I would love to say that the church is a place that's gossip free, but I'd be lying, wouldn't I? Because we gossip, we struggle with it. In fact, I have found that people in the church get really, really, really good at gossiping, but pretending like it's not gossip. You know what I mean? Like imagine you're in your small group and your home leader says, hey, before we leave, let's, let's, let's uh, pray. Is there any prayer requests? And you say, yes, uh, I would like to pray for Heather. You know, it's been about a year since she's been through the divorce and everything. Now, I'm not one to gossip, but I just wanted to make this a matter of prayer. And, uh, you know, I've noticed that she's been uh, seen in the company of a certain young gentleman. And, uh, you know, I think they've been getting along really well. In fact, her status on Facebook changed to in a relationship, you know. Now, now this is just facts. This is not gossip here, okay? Because I just want to pray for her. But, um, you know, I met her at the grocery the other day and I noticed that she gained a little weight. So I don't know if she's eating a lot or if she's pregnant, but I think we need to just, <laughs> let's just pray for Heather. Let's join hands and pray for Heather. <laughs> we do that, don't we? We hide gossip in the context of prayer. Or I don't know if they do this here in Indianapolis, but, but in Kentucky in the South, there's a phrase that people will often say to something that they feel like once you tell something, a gossip about somebody, if you lay this phrase on there, it like negates it out. Like it's all good, you know? Like, like they'll be saying, hey, have you heard about the Johnson's boy? Yeah, he got arrested again. Boy, I'll tell you what, he's been trouble since day one. You know, it remind, he reminds me of his dad. I grew up with his dad and he has the same mistakes as his dad. Bless his heart. (laughs) Right? Right? For some reason, people think if you just say bless his heart, it makes it all okay. Right? Now, here's the thing. We laugh about this, right? Because we've all done it. The sad thing is, it's what the Bible calls gossip. And it calls gossip a sin. 
So we know gospel. Why do we do this? Well, there's a German word that I recently came to know that is going to be your big take. Well, not really your big takeaway, but, but it's, it's a word that we're going to put on the screen. It's called Schadenfreude, okay? Can you say that with me? Schadenfreude. Wherever you are, let me hear it. Schadenfreude. Okay, so when you get in the car after church today and you ask your kids what they learned in church, okay, and they tell you, then have them ask you and you can say Schadenfreude. And they're like, what? Yeah, that's what we learned about. Okay. Schadenfreude is when it's the experience of pleasure or joy or self-satisfaction that comes when we learn from learning or witnessing the troubles, the failures, or humiliation of someone else. Do you get that? It's this feeling of pleasure or joy when other people fail or are humiliated. And it's pretty much a general part of the human condition. We learned about it at a young age. Remember middle school in the lunchroom when somebody would walk out with their tray and they would trip and drop it. It would crash to the ground and make a loud noise. Everybody did what? Whoa! I mean, they clap and cheer. You know, nobody went over and said, oh, you okay? You know, nobody did that. We love it when somebody else messes up. As adults, it's the same thing. One of the most watched genres of videos on YouTube is what's called fail videos, okay? If you want to go down, if you just want to lose a couple, you know, two or three days of your life, okay, just search for fails and you will see people crashing their cars. You'll see people uh, falling down icy steps on security cameras. You'll see people backing out of garages into mailboxes. You'll see skateboard accidents. You'll see everything. And then after about three or four days into this, it'll say, would you like to see epic fails? And you're like, yes, I would. And so you go and watch epic fails and they say, would you like to see a compilation of three hours of the most epic fails of the first quarter of 2019. Oh, you betcha, you know? And we love to see when other people suffer because we have this schadenfreude part of our life. We get, we get a rise out of seeing other people fail or in misery. So we know what gossip is, but why do we gossip aside from the schadenfreude that we deal with? Well, God gives us a really neat picture in Proverbs chapter 26. In fact, if you want to read a chapter on how to control your words, Proverbs 26 is a great chapter. But here's what it says. It says, the words of gossip are like tasty bits of food. People gobble them up. A few weeks ago, we were over at some people's house for a celebration. And it was, it was, uh, we were having, they're having like finger foods and stuff. And all of a sudden, the hostess brought out a big old round tray of Chick-fil-A mini nuggets. All right. You know what I'm talking? Yeah, it's God's chicken. Okay. It was right there. I'm telling you. And she put them on there. And I watched as the adults, you know, nobody wanted to literally run to the table or dive. So we kind of did this, oh, I heard those are pretty good. And then we, and you're filling your pockets with them. You know, you're walking like, about 30 seconds, there was nothing left but one little crumb on there. And somebody came over and grabbed that and like, mm, you know. Uh, I mean, we love to gobble up little bits of food. And that's what gossip is like. The words of gossip are like tiny bits of food that we just gobble up and we just run to. And we just crave to have as, as much as we can. But, you know, as I was studying this topic, I, I started to think about the different reasons that, that people gossip, myself included. And the first reason that I came up with is that we're embarrassed. You know, we, we, we apply for a job position and um, we put ourselves out there. We're telling everybody, man, I got this locked up. And we get a phone call or an email from the company that says, hey, we're going in a different direction. 
And all of a sudden we realized we got to tell everybody that we didn't get the job that we had told them that we were locked for. And we're embarrassed. So we say things like, well, you know, I didn't really want to work for them anyways. I've seen behind the curtain and that company is not what you think it is. I've seen their books and financially, I don't know if they're going to make it through, you know, the rest. And we start to just run people down because we are embarrassed. Another reason we gossip is because we're angry. We're just mad at somebody or something. We didn't get our way or we felt like we got, we got hurt in a certain way. And so we just say, you know what? Uh, I, and we just, we just talk bad about them. We spread lies and gossip about them. Another reason is was we don't like change. We're change adverse. Um, I don't know about you, but, but I drive to work to, to the church the same way every day. And, and after doing that for a year and a half, there's a new subdivision going in. And they put up a stop sign. Okay, now I don't know about you, but I kind of, that kind of, I don't like that because I got my way to go. And I'm like, who are these people moving to these new houses over here that put up a stop sign that slows me down on my way to work, you know? And, and, I, and I don't like that. And plus, I've, I've always heard that if it has a white border around it, it's optional, okay, to stop. So it, it is not true, okay, please, that is not true, okay? So I kind of come to a Kentucky roll on through, and, and I don't like change. And sometimes when change happens in the church, or in an organization, or in anything, uh, we get a little bent out of shape. I'm like, well, you know, they're just trying to, to put their fingerprint on anything. I can't, why don't they just leave things the same way? It's worked for, you know, and we start to gossip bad about people because we are change, uh, change averse. I think the fourth reason is, is because we get hurt. You see this a lot in relationships. You see a couple that breaks up, and all of a sudden, they're gathering his friends and her friends, his posse and her posse together. And they start talking about each other, either within this group or on social media. And they're going at each other and they're spreading lies and rumors about different things because they're hurt. And so as I was thinking about, those are the four that I came with. So I was talking with my family last week. And my family said, you know what, you know what Dad, Michael, there, there's, there's a fifth one that you do. And there's a part of me that was really curious. And there's another part of me that says, no, there's not. There's no fifth one, you know. And they said, it's, it's when you're jealous. I go, what do you mean? A few weeks ago, our family went on a short getaway. Just a few days, we went down to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And we had a great time. If you've ever been to Gatlinburg, it's a lot of fun. And uh, we just had a good time. And we came back to church. And that morning we walked in and there was a young couple there who'd just been married for a, a couple of years and didn't have any kids. And um, they said, how, hey, have you been on vacation? Said, yeah, we went to Gatlinburg. We had a great time. I said, how about you? And they go, yeah, we went to Bali. I go, oh, they said, yeah, they said, we, they had these, these decks above the ocean that they would ride you on a golf cart and they put you in there and you'd sleep over the ocean. You'd wake up and there's dolphins swimming around and, oh, it was beautiful. The water was crystal clear and it was beautiful. And I was like, yeah, we had go-karts and putt-putt golf and saltwater taffy. I mean, it was... Bali gives right there, you know? And, and they walked away and I just jokingly said to my family, eh, they're not happy. That's my way of when I'm jealous, of just saying, ah, they're not happy. Somebody gets a house or a job or a car that I think I would love to have. I'm like, you know, they're not really happy with that. You know, how could you be happy with all that money? I mean, you know, how, how could you do that? And when I'm jealous, uh, I tend to just gossip and do that. Well, gossip is not something that we invented. It's been around for a long time. And I want to take a look at a, a story from the Bible in where gossip 
went really bad. If you got your Bibles or your Bible app on your device, open up to 1 Kings chapter 21, because we're going to be taking a look at gossip gone bad. Now, we've got three characters in this story. The first character is a king. His name is Ahab. The second character is his neighbor, whose name is Naboth. And the third one is the queen. And as the story goes in, in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 1, it says that, that King Ahab was going to expand uh, his fields. And so he wanted to have a field for the royal kitchen where he could have vegetables and herbs grown because I guess they were going to start a new menu or something like that. I guess he was a foodie. And so he starts looking around and as he's walking around his palace, he notices, man, there's this beautiful vineyard sitting right here. So he goes over to the owner whose name is Naboth. He goes, Naboth, hey, I'm King Ahab. He goes, I would love to have your vineyard. In fact, I don't want to just take it. He goes, I will pay you whatever you want. And if, that, if you don't want money, I will let you choose from any other vineyards. You can just pick from it. And Naboth thought about it for a second. He says, oh, king. He goes, I can't. He goes, this piece of property has been in my family for generations. And in fact, I couldn't do this to God. Now, when I read that, I thought, selling a piece of property, how does that have to do with God? And then I realized that generations ago, God had assigned pieces of property to the different clans. And this was one that was assigned to Naboth's clan. And from Jezreel. And so it was given him. So he truly believed not only had it been in his family, but this piece of property, their homestead, was a gift from God. And so he said, I can't do it. And I love what verse 4 says about how King Ahab responded. Verse 4 says, Ahab went home angry and upset because he did not like what Naboth from Jezreel had said. Naboth had said, I will not give you my family's land. So guess what King Ahab did? He lay down on his bed, he turned his face to the wall and refused to eat. How about a king like that? Can you imagine? Hey, Naboth, will you give me that? No, I can't do that. I can't believe it. Naboth won't sell me his vineyard. So he goes home, stuffs his head in a pillow and won't eat. Wow. Well, then his wife comes in, the queen, Queen Jezebel, and she says, suck it up, buttercup. No, she doesn't say that. She actually says, you need to act like a king. And he says, I can't. Now, that's me. That's not in the Bible. Okay. But we know from context. Okay. So she goes, I'll handle this. So Queen Jezebel writes some letters to the leaders in Jezreel and says, hey, I want you to declare a fast. At the end of that, we're going to have a big celebration. And King Ahab's going to come and he's going to sit at the head. And then I want you to put Naboth right next to him. And then right across, we're going to plant a couple, which, which the Bible called them troublemakers. Okay, they were the gossipers. And at the right time, they're going to accuse Naboth of cursing both the king and God. And then I want you to immediately take him outside the city and execute him. And so these guys obviously were afraid of Jezebel. So they said, okay. And so the day came where they had the, 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 the celebration and they seated Naboth here and they seated the two troublemakers. And somewhere in the middle of the celebration, the two troublemakers said, hey, what'd you say, Naboth? What'd you say about the king? He's like, what? Uh, nothing. I said, great party. No, no, that's not what you said. What'd you say about God? This guy's blaspheming about God. And he's like, wait, what's, what's going on? So he gets ripped out of his chair, dragged out of the city, and he gets executed on the spot. That's, that's gossip gone bad. And then the leaders, it says in verse 14, the leaders sent a message to Jezebel saying, Naboth has been killed. When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been killed, She told Ahab, Naboth of Jezreel is dead. Now you may go and take for yourself the vineyard he would not sell to you. And when Ahab heard that Naboth of Jezreel was dead, he got up and went to the vineyard to take it for his own. Now that's an extreme case 
of gossip taken to a place where it actually cost a man his life. In fact, if you read in 2 Kings, you read that it most likely didn't just cost him his life because of the offense that he was accused of. It could have been his wife and his children as well. But here's the bottom line I want you to hear me right now say is this, is that there is always a cost to gossip. There is always a cost to gossip. We like to think that the words that we say are just words. The stories that we tell about people's misfortunes are just something for entertainment. That sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That the words that we say don't matter, but hear me. There is always a cost to gossip. And usually it's much more than we ever want to admit. So how can we stop the gossip? How can we ace the test in gossip? Well, I've got three ways. The first thing is you need to admit your struggle. Just like me, my first response was, man, those people need to learn about this. And God was saying, okay, let's start with you, big guy. We have to admit that we have a problem. The second thing is, is that we need to check ourselves. What, what do you mean check yourself? We need to check ourselves and see if we truly are gossiping. There's a couple verses that helped me as I was studying. Proverbs 26, remember I talked about this chapter, you might want to read through. Proverbs 26 gives us a great picture of the effects of gossip and how we can reduce that. And it says, fire, go, fire goes out without wood and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. You see, sometimes our words, our gossip are the fuel for disagreements. Sometimes our words and our gossip are the fuel for hurt. Sometimes our words and our gossip are the fuel for pain. And if we just remove the fuel, the fire goes out. Yeah, but that's hard to do, God. Come on, how am I supposed to do that? I mean, you know, I like it when I've got the juicy tidbit. I've got the news flash. And I say, hey, have you heard? And everybody leans in. That feels really good to be the center of attention. How can I do that? I love what Psalms chapter 141 verse 3 says. Simple prayer. Lord, help me control my tongue. Help me to be careful about what I say. I would bet that if each one of us prayed that prayer each morning, our lives and the lives of everyone we come in contact with would be radically different. And so we have to accept that we have a problem. We have to check ourselves. And the third thing is we have to engage in encouragement. We have to encourage one another. You've all heard the old saying, if you've all heard the old saying, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. And that sounds good, but it's hard. When you're used to talking, to just go, I'm not, I'm gonna turn it off. You're like, mm, I got so many words that just want to come out, right? And so, so we can't just take it away. We have to replace it with encouragement. We have to replace it with something. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11 gives us another beautiful picture for our words. And I like this. It says, the right word at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. Ladies, what's the most important piece of jewelry that you own? You may look down in your left hand and see a wedding ring and, and you remember when it was given to you and you may think about the commitment that it makes and, and how important that is to you. It's something that means something. Or maybe it might be a necklace that was passed down to you from an aunt 
or a grandmother who loved you. And whenever you see it, you think about them and you have a connection with them. Or when you wear it, you just kind of remember them. Our words can serve in the same way. Something that are precious. Something that helps us remember the commitment. Something that helps us remember the love. And so I think it's important for us to be able to remember and to use our words to help others. You know, a few months ago, we had a young lady come to our church by the name of Tanya. And she came in kind of late and couldn't find any seats and ended up sitting right in the front row with her four young children. And uh, as she was sitting right there in the front row, I was over on this side. Her four young kids obviously did not know how to act in church. And so when it was the music time, they were kind of dancing around. Our stage has steps up front and they were kind of running up and down the steps. And I'm over here as a campus pastor thinking, oh man, this is really impacting negatively the experience of our people. And uh, so it, 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 it kind of went okay. And the next week, uh, the same thing happened. I got to tell you, I was getting more and more irritated. The third week it happened, I made a decision. Uh, we got to do something because this is getting to be bad. It's just, it's impacting. Now, during our prayer time, one of the kids was watching a video on their phone with no headphones. And so like everybody could just hear this video they're watching. And I said, I don't know what she's doing or what she's thinking, but come on. Don't you know how to raise your kids? Don't you know how to do this? And so I was talking with, with, with some of my staff and I was really expressing some frustration. I really wasn't happy with what was going on. And my early childhood director, Courtney, said, Michael, would it be okay if I kind of leaned in and connected with Tanya? And I was like, sure. And to be honest with you, my reason was for that was so that the problem would be solved in worship. A few days later, Courtney comes back and she goes, Michael, I got to connect with Tanya and she's got quite a story. I said, oh, really? I, I'd love to hear this story. And she shared a story. She grew up in a home that was not a good home. Her dad was a bad man that, that abused her mom and sexually abused her. And at age 15, her mom mustered up enough courage and saved enough money where they could get away and escape this toxic relationship and took her away. She ended up getting a job as a waitress in a small town, her mom did, and, and, and they started going through the divorce. Soon as the divorce was over, her mom came to her on one Sunday morning and said, Tanya, we need a fresh start. We should go to church. And so Tanya said they went to church. They got there kind of late. They weren't dressed like everybody else. They didn't look like everybody else. And they came down the aisle and the only seat they could find was right in the front row. And they sat there as they went through worship and not really knowing what was going on. And the minister got up in this really small church in this really small town. He said, I need to say something before we start. He says, the Bible says in the book of Malachi that God hates divorce and we do not allow anyone in our church who's been divorced. And he pointed at Tanya and her mom and he says, you are not welcome here. And they got up and at 15 years old, she followed her mom down the aisle and out the doors of the church. And she made a promise to God and to herself that she would never, ever go to church again. Because if that's how God is, if that's how God's people are, I can live without it. Well, for the next 15 years, Tanya searched for, she realizes this now, the true love of a father and the true love of a heavenly father. And so pretty much anybody that was a guy that showed her interest, she would show interest back. And so over the course of the next 15 years, Tanya had four children by four different men. 
but she was still holding fast to her promise that she didn't want anything to do with God or anything to do with the church. Then she met another man and she soon found out that she was pregnant with her fifth child. And she remembered the words that her mom had said 15 years ago. We need a fresh start. And so she did one of the most brave and courageous things I have ever seen. She decided to give God one more shot. So she came in a little bit late, just like she had with her mom, couldn't find a seat and ended up right in the front row. When I heard that story, guys, to say that I felt that big would be an overestimation. I was judgmental. I was using my words. I was gossiping about someone who had been hurt so bad by the church. And here's what I want everybody that can hear my voice to say right now. If the church or people in the church has ever hurt you, I am sorry. God loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter who's hurt you, God loves you as his daughter and as his son. And I am sorry for the times when I've used my words to hurt. And I think it's a powerful message for all of us. God loves us so much. It doesn't matter to the legacy that we received. What God is more concerned with is the legacy that we're gonna leave for other people. So church, wherever you are, wherever you can hear my voice, let's stop the gossip and let's show people the love of God. That's why at the every end of every one of our services, we offer a time where we offer the gospel. Here's what you need to know. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. It doesn't matter how bad you feel about yourself, how much you hate God or how much you hate the church. Here's the truth. God loves you. You are his daughter, you are his son. He loves you more than anything in this world and he gave his son for your life, for your mistakes. He paid the price so that he can spend eternity with you. Man, I gotta tell you, that's a great promise because I'm a guy who blows it with his words and with his actions all the time. So if you're here or you can hear my voice right now, I want you to just, if now's the moment, We're gonna say a prayer and I want you to say, God, I'm sorry, I've been mad, I've been hurt, I've made promises that I would never listen to you. If this is your moment, don't let it pass by. And so I wanna pray and I want you to ask God just to become your savior. So you bow your heads with me wherever you are and let's pray and let's ask God. Father God, you are so good. We are so broken. God, I thank you that that you don't look down on us and you judge us by all the things that we have done wrong, but that you look down on us and you love us as your child, your daughter, or your son. Father, I'm praying right now in my heart for the people who, who are so close to accepting you, but they've been hurt by the words of people around them, God. And my prayer would be that right now, in this very moment, that they would accept you and begin that journey of realizing just how much you love them as as your daughter and as your son. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, here at Emmanuel, we like to celebrate decisions. So church family, let's celebrate what God is doing in the lives of people.
And if you made that decision, we do not want you to start that alone. And so wherever you are, whatever campus, if you go back to New Believers uh, Counter, there are people there who would love to talk with you and give you a Bible. If you're online uh, on live stream, just click the button and we will send this to you because we want you uh, to be able to do that. And one of the things I love about God is that God loves us and He forgives us and we get to celebrate it. So we're going to end the service today by singing a song that if you have just made a decision, it's a celebration. But if you've already made that decision, this is a prayer of Thanksgiving. So church family, wherever you are, will you stand as we sing this final song of celebration to God? Every 